0: This morning we are going to look at the life of another hero, Henry Martin. I I love biography of all sorts, but I particularly love reading the stories of men and women of the faith who have just gone before us and lived lives of sacrifice, have lived lives uh, spent for the glory of God, for the good of all people, uh, and. Well, I'd like to do. I haven't done this in several years, but I'd like to just take a moment and do this little sketch, a little biographical sketch of these men and women in the faith. And today, we're going to look at the life of Henry Martin. Henry Martin was born in Truro, England, February 18th, 1781. So he's born right after the United States becomes a thing. Very smart child, but also... Very proud. He wanted to be number one. He also had a pretty severe temper. As he was... One story has that uh, he was so angry that somebody else was getting attention that he actually took a knife and threw it at a boy's head. Thankfully, he missed... So here is a young man who had a bad temper. He went to college at Cambridge, and he was torn up because he was not the first in his class. He didn't get the gold star or ribbon. He was second. He hated that. Everything he was doing, he was trying to be first, trying to be first. His friend said, you know, I think you have a pride issue. Maybe you need to go to the Lord. To deal with that, Henry did. He went to the Lord, and after hearing of uh, uh, the Lord dealing with his own heart and also hearing that his father died while he was at college, he just, his friend urged him, surrender your life to Christ, and you will find the peace that you're looking for. And he did that. He went a moment with the Lord, gave up his obsession with being first. And surrendered his life to Christ and became a Christian. Now, what happened after that is the intensity that he had in wanting to be first all the time was then turned to an intensity to crucify his pride at every turn. He just wanted to crucify his pride and live a life for the Lord. The Lord drew Henry to a saving knowledge of himself, and then he began, uh, began attending Holy Trinity Church where uh, um, Pastor Charles Simeon was the pastor there. Charles Simeon, another hero, served at one church for 55 years. Pretty cool. He enjoyed the doctrines that Simeon preached. He began attending uh, in 1799. He was saved in 1803, and 1803 was when uh, the slave trade was abolished. In England, and he was able to meet William, Wil- William Wilberforce, who was a member of parliament, who drove that through, and also John Newton, who was a support to uh, William Wilberforce as well. So it's cool how all these guys intertwined. He became first in his class after he got saved. But it didn't matter anymore, because he loved the Lord, and he wanted the Lord to be number one. He had sweet communion with the Lord while he was walking in the fields and under the moonlight. He also would memorize whole books of the Bible. He was a child prodigy, and he put all this energy into his relationship with the Lord. He went to Cambridge to study law, but now he realized he wanted to do something different. And at Charles Simeon's suggestion as pastor, he decided to become a missionary. He began reading the story of David Brainerd, who was a missionary to the Native Americans uh, in America. At the same time, he was reading Brainerd's biography, and after much prayer, he made his decision. I want to be a missionary. And he said this, I long to be like him, like like Brainerd. He said, let me forget the world and be swallowed up in a desire to glorify God. Isn't that cool words? I pray that for myself often, that, that I don't want to be swallowed up, God. I want to be swallowed up in a desire to glorify you. He became a deacon at Holy Trinity Church with the intention, uh, the intention of going to, with the East India Company to be a missionary. And he was told by a lot of people that he wasn't cut out to be a missionary. He didn't have what it took to be a good one, but he fought his pride at every turn. He would, he would eat his breakfast standing up next to a window in the middle of winter with the window open So the fierce, icy wind would come in and he would have to endure it. That's a little over the top. But this is what he did. He wanted to humble himself and he sought to be humbled in this way. He said this, Pride shows itself every hour of every day. What plans and dreams and visions of fortuity, I mean future things, Fill my imagination every day in which self is the prominent object. O Lord, humble my soul. Let thy spirit secretly teach me what I am. You hear this desperation for him to honor God with everything. His desire to be holy, swallowed up in devotion to God uh, was in every area of his life. Even the desire for marriage. He said another time, my only desire, even if he's thinking about marriage, my only desire is to be entirely devoted to God. In the beginning of 1804, he decided to be a chaplain for the East India Company. He went to London, dined with Wilberforce and uh, uh, William Pitt, who was the prime minister, also John Newton. And he would, he would seek forgiveness for the pride that was found in his heart all the time. He met and spent time with a certain lady named Lydia. But he decided to leave Lydia because he needed to be more devoted to God. His preaching was often criticized because he spoke too slow. He spoke with educated words. And he spoke ex- extemporaneously. He didn't have notes. He was too reformed. He was troubled all the time because everybody was critiquing him. But this is how he this is what troubled him the most. After, and this is challenging to me. As a preacher, after he preached, he if people couldn't give him the outline of his message, he was burdened by that. And I went, That's a good test for preachers. Do you even remember what I said in the order I said it? But he was always looking to better himself for the purpose of God. He worked hard at becoming a better preacher, he worked hard at everything and he continued to be very busy with his tasks uh, in the church as well as a fellow at st john's at cambridge and he got word that he was hired by the east india company and he was sent off to india his plan was that he would go to india and then by letter propose to lydia and have him have her come meet him he continued his work at preaching Somebody else, a pastor in England, said he lacked warmth in his sermon. So he was trying, trying to figure out how to do this. But here's what Henry Martin would do. In his kindness, he would just give away his money. He would give a penniless person all his money to where he became penniless, but he was happy to help people out. His last day at Holy Trinity Church, as he walked down the aisle, the congregation stood up in respect for him because they knew they would never see him again. Back in those days, you really did leave, and it was done. No, really no sense of coming back on furlough, no, and with sickness and disease, you never knew if somebody was going to die before they got there. And that happened to a lot of missionaries. They ended up dying before they even got to where they were supposed to go. But here's what he said on his, on his desire to go out. He said, with my Bible in my hand and Christ at my right hand strengthening me, I can do all things. I longed to forget the world and to be swallowed up in desire, in entire devotion to God, to live always unto him. You hear his longing, you hear his desire. He stayed in London for a few months waiting to set sail, visit again with John Newton. Richard Cecil, who had criticized him about his warmth, helped him with his preaching preparation, but he was always attacking his pride, always. He really now wanted to marry Lydia. He visited her a couple of times while he was in London waiting for the ship to leave. But the ship was delayed because of a... Uh, uh, imminent war between France and Spain, but when he finally got the urge to ask her to marry him, she said no. He was very, very sickly as a man, and this was discovered as he went out on the ship. Uh, It took nine months to sail from England. They went over to Brazil and then went down uh, the Horn of Africa and then came up into India where, where he... Uh, then went to Calcutta. So a long journey, nine months to get where he was going, and he was immensely seasick. Found it hard to concentrate on reading and praying because of the loudness of the music and the swearing of the others on board. They were cursing too much. He was very lonely aboard the ship. He asked the captain if he could conduct morning worship services. The captain said, no, no but I'll give you Sundays. He wanted to do every single morning because he knew these people need Jesus and I need to talk to them about it. And the ship then didn't like his preaching at all. They didn't like him preaching on hell. So they told him not to do that. But he said, no, I'm going to preach it all because it's the truth. He feared God rather than man. But he continued again to battle his pride. Uh, The ship didn't know where its destination was because war had broken out. So they went to Brazil, avoided being attacked by the French, and he would still conduct worship services on the ship. He worked through his fears and began speaking about the gospel more and more to those he met on shore. He met one man that he was told knew everything. Somebody told Henry Martin, this guy knows everything. So Henry spoke to him in Latin. The guy was embarrassed because he didn't know Latin. He was stirred. Henry was stirred toward godliness by having a, a slave washed his feet one night. He didn't want this, but he said he remembered what Jesus did in serving the disciples and washing their feet, and he, he wanted to do the same thing. This stayover in Brazil actually refreshed his soul, his body. He was able to gain more strength, and the, the ship, the Union, sailed from Brazil around the Cape of Good Hope to the southern, uh, and then went on to India. But along the way, it was a rough voyage, and he got sick very often. He saw horrific, uh, horrific, horrific sights of war when they went around Africa. And he thanked God because it reminded him that all men need salvation in their fallen condition. He met with some missionaries while in South Africa, and he asked one if he ever regretted being a missionary. Do you ever regret this? And here's what the missionary told him in response. No, and I would not exchange my work for a kingdom. Quickened Henry. He said, you quicken us. Do we see our lives as mattering that much? Because they do. Our gospel mission and our desire to live for Jesus every day, we should have no regrets, and we should not want to exchange it for an entire kingdom. Because a kingdom usually means comfort, significance, control. That's what we long for. Here this missionary gave it up and said, no, I'm doing God's work, and then it had the effect on Henry's soul. So they set sail for India. He was so seasick one day they had to sit in a chair and he was unable even to to change his clothes. He began to get discouraged on the trip because he felt he was ineffective in serving the Lord during the journey because he was so sick and he was often mocked and ridiculed, just like he was in grade school. People couldn't understand yet what he was preaching about, but Henry would begin to discover that his greatest effect wasn't preaching. India's shore was now in sight. He was excited to go on land. A bunch of people came to him for, to hire. They rushed up for his bags to hire uh, them for the, the journey, and, but they just stole his bags. They rushed up. He's thinking he's going to pay them, and they ran off. He actually ran down some of them to be able to get the bags back. While he was there, he, he met with other missionaries and was able to preach and was, was received well by them. But he wondered, would he ever be effective for the Lord in India? He arrived in Calcutta and met with uh, another missionary, David Brown, whom he had lived with in Aldean back in England. Big house the Browns had there. Uh, and he, he saw while he was there a, a Hindu worship that I think today still sneaks in. They Well, one, he saw the Temple of Juggernaut who is a Hindu god. And he saw the Indian people bowing down to the idol as it strode through the city. And people would throw themselves under the wheels of the cart to kill themselves as a sacrifice for juggernaut. While he was there in Calcutta, he met with William Carey, really the first modern missionary sent from England to India. But he learned from William Carey that William Carey was, was spending his efforts in trying to translate the Bible into the, uh, the local dialect for this area. And all, there were so many languages in India. He wanted to, William Carey wanted to do all of the languages. And something happened in Henry's heart in that moment. And he recognized, maybe that's what I need to pay my attention to. While he was with William, and William Carey was struck by this as well, uh, he ran into another practice in the Hindu temples called Suti, when a widow would throw herself upon her husband's burning body in order to spend eternity with him. They knew this is not right. Right? Preached many times, again, was, was teased. You don't know this. But he didn't back down. He kept going and he was told that he preached about justification too much. You preach too much about our faith in Christ. He said, well, I have to preach that. He always battled feeling useless. And he said this, I feel pressed in spirit to do something for God. Everybody is diligent, but I am idle, all employed in their proper work, but I'm tossed in uncertainty. I want nothing but grace. I want to be perfectly holy and to save myself and those that hear me. I have hitherto lived to little purpose, more like a clod than a servant of God. Now, let me burn out for God. You hear his passion. He studied much in order to better himself while he waited for the East India Company and place him in a town. He missed Lydia very much. He asked her to come to India and marry him, but she didn't. He began then working on translating the Bible, and he would find really what God would use him for. He was busy with baptisms and weddings and funerals, but he was lonely. Lydia turned down his proposal because she said her mom didn't want her to. He began starting schools in the local villages, The students stayed away until Henry assured them that the purpose of the school wasn't just to make everybody a Christian, it was really to educate them. But that exposed his heart for the people. He said this, precious souls, millions perishing in the neighborhood of one who can preach the gospel to them. How dreadful. I trust the Lord will open a great and effectual door, but oh, for faith, zeal, courage, love. But we... It's our prayer, isn't it? We're stirred by that. Henry was prepared to die at any moment. And so he wanted to share the gospel with everybody all the time. He got underway translating, and he hired two people to help with the Indian dialects, Mirza and an Arabic, Sabbat, who was able to help with the Muslim translation. Sabbat was a difficult man for everybody. He gave Henry many headaches because... Sabbat was a proud man. And Henry, as he worked with Sabbat, recognized, this is how I was with people. This is tough. Sabbat became a Christian, but there really wasn't any fruit. He was a proud man. Sabbat was later imprisoned on the island of Sum- Sumarta. And he used his blood for ink to write letters He was eventually put to death by being sewn in a bag and thrown into the sea. I hope he came to Christ during that time, and I hope we meet him in heaven. Henry was distressed with the lack of converts in his ministry in India, and he wanted the gospel to go to all the land and long for the day that, that they all would be saved. He gave one woman a New Testament, and she asked if she should bow down and worship it. He told her to ask God to make her understand it. It's not to be worshiped, it's to be understood. He went through a, and then went through a period of several months of being sick to the point that he thought he would die and go to heaven. He got to meet in a new building for church, but that was transferred. Then he was transferred to a different town. He was a humble man where he was once so proud. Now he just wanted to be in the background so Jesus could be in the foreground. Only thinking of living for the gospel, longing for Christ's return in power and in glory. Henry chose to go to the new town, which was three hundred miles away, by palanquin, which is a box carried by four men. We've seen those in picture books and on old movies and stuff, or movies of old things. Hot would get to like one hundred twenty-six degrees. He arrived at the new place exhausted. He worked hard finding a place to hold services, also doing all the pastoring of the town when he found out that his sister Sally had died of tuberculosis. And Lydia said, I'll take her place so you have somebody to write to. So he was able to begin a correspondence with Lydia. Lydia's heart changed toward Henry, and she prayed that he would ask her again to marry him. But he never did. In this new town, he spent a lot of his first meetings meeting the physical needs of the people. Uh, and the people who were there were the lowest of the caste system. Uh, in India and today in the upper parts, remote parts, there still exists a ranking order of who you are as people. And you start, the, the poorest of the poor who don't even give any, they're not even given jobs, they just have to exist in the streets, clean the streets, and eat from the streets. They weren't, they were, there was a caste that was lower than servants. And then uh, within the, the belief, Hindu belief of reincarnation, if you're good in that caste, you'll be reincarnated as somebody in a higher caste, ultimately reaching the highest caste of the priestly ones who then are finally the, the ones able to reach nirvana when they die. So Henry started serving the lowest of the low, the lowest caste, bringing the gospel to them, He was met with sneers and jeers by the ones he preached to. He battled fatigue and sickness. He battled a burning in his chest. He became sick again, was forced to leave. And attempts to get fresh air didn't help. And he would be extremely exhausted while preaching. Everyone thought that they would never see him again because of the look of death on his face. He left the town believing that he had seen no one receive Christ for salvation but he didn't know of a man who actually got saved under Henry's ministry. Henry left before he learned the, the fruitfulness of his ministry to the poor and impoverished. He set sail then for Persia and Arabia to rest and to learn the languages, to translate the Bible into those languages. He actually translated the New Testament, I think, into three different Hindusanti uh, dialects. So now he leaves for Persia. He, he is stirred to go there. He wouldn't take a break. There was too much work to be done for the gospel. And this, this relentless work that he would do actually is contributing uh, to his, his overall health, which would contribute to his death. He took a portrait of himself before leaving India and sent it to Charles Simeon and his pastor back in England. Simeon couldn't look at it. One, he didn't recognize who it was but he couldn't look at it because how worn Henry was. Others were then getting inspired by Henry's life because he was sending correspondence back to England, and they're committing themselves to the mission field, and particularly to translation, seeing how important that was. He committed himself to become the man of God that he knew God wanted him to be on his 30th birthday. Boarded a ship for Persia in February 1811, a man wrote about him his great enthusiasm uh, his great enthusiasm for his holy calling and then on may twenty first eighteen eleven he arrived in Persia in Shiraz, Iran as the first missionary to ever set foot in that land found people that needed to hear the truth of the gospel all over. He was actually invited um, to to dine with several different people jews Muslims. Arabs, they were all in this area, and they would invite him, and he would have to. He would dress up in their particular garb, the head dressing. Um, he wore red boots. I'm not sure why red boots was very popular back in Persia in 1811, but that's what he would dress up as. Uh, when he he also learned that scorpions were around in the desert, and one was in his clothes one time. <laughs> But he lived there in Shiraz. He enjoyed much rest as he first got there, met with the high-ranking officials, and he set to work on on translating the New Testament into Persian. And while walking in the streets, rocks were thrown at him. After the boys were disciplined, they stopped, were nice to him. So every time he goes someplace, he's got opposition. And he's trying to humble himself, He says, well, maybe I'm too proud. He's trying to humble himself, but every time there's opposition and every time he recaptures his devotion to the Lord, he reminds himself of that. His translation work was often delayed because people wanted to come talk to him. And he never left anybody leave until he shared the gospel with them. At a play, uh, actors had to say a few English words And the only ones that they knew were the curse words. Like, we know that that is. Sometimes you know the curse words of our languages. You don't know anything else. Uh, So he went up there and he actually gave them other English words to say. And he gave them words from the Our Father. That's what he gave them for English words to say. He finished the New Testament in Persian in eight months. Here's a man who went there not knowing the language. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Finished it in eight months, and then he worked on the Psalms. 30 years old. He would have face-to-face debates with the Muslims in Shiraz. He always stood firm on the deity of Christ and, and his substanti- substitutionary death as the only way to salvation because the, the Muslims would try to convince him that the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave really meant it was for Muhammad, not the Holy Spirit. And he would debate with them. No, that means the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean... So when Jesus said, I send a comforter, I send somebody after me, what the Muslim thought it was, oh, that's Muhammad he's talking about. They challenged one Muslim teacher about his thinking about pain and pleasure being one. He said, no, they're different. Pain is the result of sin. Pleasure is what God wants for us and we acquire in our relationship with him once we have forgiveness and then ultimately in heaven we'll have forever. One Muslim student who had ridiculed him when Henry was speaking the truth later came like Nicodemus and asked for a New Testament. He finished his work in Shiraz and he set off for Tabriz in northern northern, uh, Iran. It was an eight-week journey. He took with him two copies of the New Testament to give to the king and prince of the region. And he got a debate with them and infuriated them by maintaining that Jesus was the Son of God. He had to rescue the New Testaments that he brought because they were thrown on the floor about to be trampled. He wrote to Lydia final time, saying, I still love you, but his sickness and his travel were brutal. The man leading the caravan was a harsh man. He drove on and on and on without paying attention to how uh, Henry's health was failing. And he died on October 16, 1812, at the age of 31, same age as David Brainerd. David Brainerd got tuberculosis and died very young. He died in a little town, Tokat which is in today, present-day present Turkey. He died an unknown man. Though he strove as a young man to be known by men, in his death, he was known by God. And his legacy is living even today as we're stirred. And we want to make our work count. We want to make our lives count. We want to be who God wants us to be. His last journal entry stated that he wanted just to go to eternity, to be with Jesus forever. I thought of this uh, verse as a caption verse for Henry Martin's life. Revelation 12, I told you 11. I put the wrong one, so I'm going to read it off the screen. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. This is they conquered the enemy, the beast. And by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. May we be those who live for that as well. His burial place is unknown. But there's a a memorial stone that sits in a museum today in Tokot. But here is a man in 31 years that was used to translate the word of God So people could read and the Spirit could illuminate and understand. What a servant of God. What a servant that stirs us to live, to to crucify our pride. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and living for him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would continue to be stirred continued to be stirred by your love and seeing it so great that we would live lives that, that we, would not, we would not look for the spotlight on us. We would only desire to be a pass-through so everybody can see Jesus. Lord, help us first remember that our lives matter today. And what we're doing matters. Everything that we're doing, every conversation, it matters, God. And I pray that every one of us would be swallowed up in devotion for you. And we would live that in joy and in satisfaction that you provide. We love you. Thank you for stirring our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's be reminded of Jesus' commission to us that Henry Martin displayed that we want to follow. Jesus said, go, therefore...